0: Hello there listeners and welcome to another episode in our podcast, TMX Presents. My name is Corey Garriott, I run the research team at The Exchange and as a research guy I think of myself as a market structure nerd. So I'm pretty pleased to have landed this gig to be the host in a conversation about the future of interest rates here in Canada. Today, I've invited two veterans of fixed income to help us learn. And you may know them already, but if not, let me do the obligatories. On one side of the ring, we have the irrepressible Dave Duggan, Managing Director of Rates at National, a practitioner of fixed income for 30 years, and one who is now increasingly involved in industry policy. He chairs the Cora Interest Rate Advisory Group, or CAG, which is part of the Bank of Canada CFIF. And he's sitting on other industry groups, such as Irox FIAC. Glad to be here, Corey. Um, always happy to get involved with
1: my friends at the TMX. One thing I do have to, to say at the very beginning here is that the opinions and views that I express here are solely mine. They're my views and opinions, and they do not represent those of National Bank of Canada or any industry committee that I take part
0: in or chair. And joining Dave today is a longtime associate on the national trading floor, our own Robert Catani, alias 1R. One R, which is his brand name, I think, he's got a trademark somewhere. He's a fixture on the cash and derivatives markets, 30 years at TDN National, where he was Managing Director of Fixed Income. Five years ago, though, One R crossed over to the exchange business, where he's launched now three futures products, including his old albatross, the five-year future, now the two-year, and now the core of futures. One R is also TMX's representative on the CAR subcommittee at the Bank of Canada C5. Thank you, Corey. I'm pleased to be here with both of you today and look forward to
2: reacquainting myself and engaging in a lively debate with my ex-colleague, Mr. Duggan. Always a pleasure, Dave. <laughs> for sure.
0: Yeah. Before we dive in, it sounds like uh, you two have a little bit of history together. Is that right, One R? Oh, we sure do. I think
2: we worked together for 20-plus years, and whether it came down to... Uh, Running over to the trading desk to grab the Monday morning pork bellies that someone brought in, or playing <laughs> hockey together. Dave and I have skied together. We, you know, we've been fast friends for a couple of decades. So this is going to be a really easy and enlightening conversation.
0: All right, let's get it started. Now, as a market structure guy, if there's one thing I think about when I think about rates, it's the transition toward risk-free rates, and not only in Canada but globally. Dave, you are chair of the Cora Advisory Group at the Bank of Canada in your view what's the motivation behind all of this well corey it goes back a long way um
1: during the great financial crises there was a lot of skullduggery around libor rigging which led the u.s and the uk regulators to levy approximately $9 billion in fines, as well as a slew of criminal charges against a whole raft of, of major banks. On the back of that, in 2013, the FSB created an organization called the OSSG, which stands for the Official Steering Sector Steering Group. And it's made up of a bunch of regulators and central bankers. And their mandate really was to strengthen the confidence and the reliability of interest rate benchmarks and to identify any alternative benchmarks that might be able to be used. Ultimately, they published a paper in 2018, which was titled the Global Transition Roadmap in which the eventual demise of all the IBORs was uh, set out within timelines, with the last of those timelines being LIBOR's final secession in 2023. On the back of that, Canada not wanting to be left out. CAR was established in 2018 with a mandate to look at alternative possibilities for a Canadian risk-free rate. CAR eventually chose CORA as the rate to work on. And we commenced enhancing the governance and the robustness of that rate. Part of that governance was the creation of the CAG, which is the CORA advisory group, which I chair, where we make sure that, uh, that the CORA rate is doing what it's supposed to do, that it represents the overall funding of market participants in in Canada, which is much different than mimicking the target rate. It's not expected to do that. So CAR was reconstituted after that, Uh, we call it CAR 2.0, and its mission was really to review CDOR MBAs as a a funding tool. The result of that was the December 2021 publishing of the White Paper, which recommended the cessation of CDOR. They put that up to Refinitiv, which answered back in May on May 16th of 2022 and published a notice announcing the cessation in two phases of June 1, uh, to, sorry, June, end of June 2023 uh, for derivatives and the end of June 2024 for the loans market. So now CAR's new main role is facilitating the transition to uh, risk-free rates in Canada and to help determine the need for a forward-looking term rate. I think it's important, Dave, to also recognize that CORE is not a new
2: benchmark rate in Canada. It has been around since 1997, I believe. So the bank just enhanced it and built it up to be more robust. So this transition to a rate already well-known, this dual rate jurisdiction we had in Canada for the last uh, many years, is just going to go to a single rate now and the risk-free rate, which is obviously more, hopefully more robust and more transparent than CEDOR ever was.
0: It's a lot of work just to transition over to a risk-free rate. Uh, what do you think is uh, behind all of this? Like, uh, why are we spending so much time and so much energy to just switch indices? I think I think really, the, if you go back to the scandals, and you want confidence
1: in your rates, and you know the part of of making Cora more re- more robust, Cora used to set on somewhere between one and a half and three billion dollars in overnight repo assets. With the Bank of Canada's and Car's sort of revamping, the average that Cora sets on right now is somewhere between 12 and $15 billion worth of overnight rates. So with the market-based approach following IOSCO protocols, I think you just set up for people to have an index, a market index that is trustworthy, is transparent, is again, as Robbie is, is aptly pointed out, is well known to the Canadian market participants.
2: Yeah. And with it being more robust, it's more transparent. It's based on transactions. And that's the key thing, right? Based on transactions, as opposed to based on opinion, which is what the Cdor was, and which is what led to a lot of difficulties
0: with LIBOR back in 08. So risk-free rates are better. We think this is a better foundation for the financial system. I know that MX is introducing a future on these risk-free rates, the core future. How is this going to play a role?
2: Well, I think Corey, uh, you know, we've aligned ourselves with some fantastic partners. We did launch Cora initially a few years ago, once the Bank Canada in- announced enhanced Cora, and to keep step with the U.S., w- we did launch the product because uh, so far futures were often running in-, in the U.S. But they were a couple of years ahead of us in terms of their transition. We didn't have the regulatory environment to force the transition, so Canada took a more Canadian approach, if you will. We got the industry together, banks, dealers, customers. Mm-hmm issuers, and we all sat on this card committee and, dis- and discussed ways to transition the market in a more orderly fashion. So we did that as these dates became known that Dave alluded to earlier. We have now since partnered with TD Bank and National Bank Financial to be Cora market makers on the MX exchange. So these futures will allow the users of Cora to have a fluid and liquid market in which to trade in Canada.
0: So that's what caused this. These LIBOR scandals, and uh, we know there's been a, a global regulatory movement to try to address this issue. Let's let's fast forward to today and talk about what's happened. I think the Bank of Canada set some deadlines: cessation of new contracts that reference CEDOR June 2023, transition of old contracts that reference CEDOR that's June 2024. And I think the first deadline, the you know we're recording here in June, it's about 12 months out now. Do you think, Juan R, that that might be too fast or is it too slow even? You know, it's like the three bear story. I think it's just about right. You
2: know, that <laughs> porridge is just about right. You know, we didn't have that regulatory environment to push things faster, which have, we could have probably done in an earlier iteration. But now that we're here today with the industry consensus, I think it's giving people the lead time required to get their systems ready to adopt this new thing. And you know, the diff- biggest difficulty is corporate Canada and issuers who have to adopt to a new way of doing things. But I think in the end of the day, given that, you know, Cora is calculated in arrears, you're going to have a more robust and more facilitatory type of rate in which for you to, to hedge your marketplace exposures. So that that's my personal opinion.
1: You know, Rob, I I really don't disagree with you, uh, you know, on that one much at all. I think I was on the original committee with the TMX, working as a, you know, sort of a, a really good trusted partner of of the car committee and as the street in general, on creating the first three-month core future. But who would have known that COVID would hit and the Bank of Canada would give us um, forward guidance on rates that were not we're going to zero and we're not moving for two years. So you know, the uptake in in the original core future and the trading volumes, there just there just wasn't really a need at that point in time. And from just sort of ex- externalities that nobody could have foreseen. So I think now with the dates we're talking about, I think we have a, a Quora first date, which is gonna be Jan 8, 2023, where the derivatives market is gonna put all of the Cora swaps on the front page. We're gonna try and take all of our risk on and off with Quora. We're gonna start to really build hopefully some real good depth in that market. And I think we'll see a really big success. And I think that these Quora futures, the way they're constructed and the way they're managed and the, the effort that's put in to, to make sure that they're going to be a liquid viable trading instrument, I think that it's a very positive for the transition as a whole, something that's very complicated.
0: Guys, do you think the Bank of Canada could, move, could have moved a little faster on uh, the risk-free rate
2: agenda? I don't know, but I think they would have probably liked to. But again... Canada didn't have that regulatory hammer that the US market had to, to force a transition and to force dates. So it was a consensus that was needed by the street. Dave,
1: what do you think? I think that, again, CDOR was IOSCO compliant. We didn't have right. any fines levied against Canadian banks for CDOR rigging. It had been looked at twice and enhanced. So I right. think that you know, we, were, we were fairly comfortable with what we had and, and that it did meet international standards. So could they have moved faster? Yeah, would it have worked? I don't think so. I think they've broken the transition up into into two parts for a reason. I think the derivative market is 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 fairly easy. It's the it's the majority of the nominals, if you would, but we use standard contracts. We use everybody's using an ISDA contract and everybody at the banks are incredibly aware of how to calculate, you know, compounding in arrears coupons and you're not dealing with small to medium-sized sort of investors who quite frankly, may or may not have that that systems ability. You know, we have that ability and really the big six banks in the derivatives market. So it'll be really interesting to see whether the second half, which is really the loans market and the older and how do we how do we transition all of that? And there's a lot of paperwork in there. The lawyers are are basically going to be getting rich on that when rewriting loan agreements and things to that effect that reference CDOR rather than than Cora. So, you know, as much as it feels fast i don't think it could have been done faster
0: the timelines that you mentioned they're getting closer and closer all that paper they're going mm. to have to rewrite this um, worries me a little people aren't going to be very willing to hold some of these cedor based contracts soon since they're going to get you know substituted eventually discontinued it's not mm. great for liquidity i guess fewer people wanting to buy something that's based on an expiring rate what's been the liquidity situation for these rates products dave maybe don't just look at canada what's it mm. been like globally that's a loaded question, David. That's Good a up. really loaded <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> I think, you know, liquidity is massively impaired as we speak right now. If you look at the Fed dot plots from December, we had a median rate expectation in the US of one and a quarter percent by year end 2023. The median dot plot right now is three and a half percent. Okay. So we've had this 225 to 250 basis point shift within six months. So you've got have a lot of one-way exposure going through there. So the fact that everybody's moving the same way and has been, you know, in my career, you know, of, of roughly 30 years and Rob's career of 30 years, I'm not sure that we've ever seen a move like this. I mean, the last time that The Fed moved 75 basis points, was in 1994, and I'm sure the majority of our listeners weren't in the market in 1994. So I think we're in a really unprecedented time. I think there's a lot of one-way flow, which really skews liquidity. I think Canada is a market where we're really okay as a small open market economy when our bonds and our instruments are expensive. I think it really it strikes a nerve when Canada because it happens so infrequently when we feel Canada gets too sh- too cheap, and I think there's a lot of people that jumped in who maybe don't have you know the depth of experience who are long and wrong hundred basis points ago and a hundred beeps is a week, <laughs> okay? It's it's not like it you 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 dragged a, a bad position for three months, it's a week the market moved in a hundred basis points where people didn't even have that on their radar. So I think that's the primary driver of of illiquidity in our market is too many people having to go the same way to hedge the same risks. And again, as a small open market economy, sometimes it's tough.
2: And to be fair, Dave, it's not just Canada that's experiencing this liquidity in the yeah. stir products, right? It's it's pretty much across the globe in any sort of G seven country that's having mm-hmm. these gyrations and stir products. Yeah. Not just Canada.
0: Yeah. Are we sure about that? I mean, I've seen some of those euro dollar volumes. They're doing all right next to SOFR. And I look at these other markets with some envy, to be honest. They seem to be doing a little better through the transition. Is it true that global rates markets are are doing all right?
1: You know what? It depends on what side you're on, obviously. (laughs) If you're short, they're doing great. (laughs) <laughs> if you're ahead of it, they're doing fine. But I, I I contested a little bit because there's lots of gaps in the charts in, in, in the euro dollars. There's lots of gaps in the charts in Sonya and Yonya. There's points in time where, you know, where the market's just turned off. I'm I'm recording this from our London office currently, and it's deathly quiet here during the Euro trading hours until North America pops in and you know and Asia pops in and, and starts working. So I'm gonna say liquidity is constrained. My expertise is North America, and I would say we're liquidity-constrained North America, and you know, do you agree with me on that one, Rob? Oh, I totally agree with you there. I would think that most people who listen to this podcast
2: would have many stories about some difficult days the last few months. Hmm.
0: Is that so even in, for example, the OIS world, I've heard that pricing there has been maintained fairly well through, hmm. the, through the transition period. The OIS market, you
1: know, bid ask has maybe widened a little bit, but I think with the volatility that the BA Futures, which currently provide the the backbone to short OIS markets, they've been challenged, the liquidity, and that's been challenged. And, and I think, again, that's just a, a symptom of one-way flows. But I think that the Canadian market overall has has done well.
0: Sometimes I'm worried that we're not doing enough, or that there's something that we could have done otherwise. Do you think Canada's doing worse than, than say, the or eurodollar in any of these places? My answer to that is no. I think we're a small open market economy, and no matter who you
1: com- you know compare us to, if you compare us to the U.S., you know it's the elephant and the mouse. And I've watched the. Eurodollars going over economic releases and announcements and you know what we lovingly call on desk is tape bombs you know i've watched the liquidity dry up in those and 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 i've watched eurodollars, dollars which are usually you know 10 to fifteen thousand contracts wide bid ask move into 50 basis points wide bid ask and that's one of the largest deepest pools of liquidity in the planet so the fact that canada is doing as well as it is when we have as much international participation and again a small open market economy with really you know eight main liquidity providers in in derivatives
0: and in cash products,
1: I think we're doing really well.
0: So, are you uh, you used to make markets in, in the, uh, I think it's in, not only in the derivatives, but the cash market. What's your view on how things have been since, of course, the Bank of Canada policy stance change in October and all that's happened since? You know, I kind of echo Dave's thoughts about being, you know, Canadian
2: proud because for a small market, we sure do have a liquid illiquid market, if you will. I mean, there are times in Canada when it's just difficult to have price discovery because as Dave said, there's, you know, there's eight or 10 major liquidity providers. So you sit there and you you figure it out. You have a bunch of different hedges you, you utilize in Canada that likely other markets don't even try to do. And we are all over the place, incredibly innovative in how we hedge Canada uh, pricing. But at the end of the day, It's a challenge sometimes being Canada because it can get to these illiquid points and we can't complain about it, but we price discover, we get the flow going again. As market makers, we have incredibly deep relationship with the investment base in Canada. That's I think one thing that sets Canada apart from other markets is that we have this relationship with customers that I don't think other jurisdictions do because we're such a tight knit group in in the Canadian financial community. You can outreach those clients and you have a real good exchange of information so that you can create this liquidity on your own. And this is what we've done, I think, for the, for I, what I did for 30 years is that I, I really relied on building strong relationships with our investor base in Canada. And that's the key. Even at the MX, one of the reasons why all our products have been more successful on all our, our relaunches is that we created a better environment for creating relationships not only with our bank partners but with the investment community in it itself and teach them how futures trade how to utilize them how to look at them
0: there's a there's a liquidity transition going on not only in a lot of these derivatives markets that are global but also here in canada with the quora product the mx is listed i'm aware that we've been uh, signing up new market makers in this program uh, how is that going so far
2: yeah, we had all the Canadian banks int- interested and intrigued by the the relaunch of the core, if you will. I, I call it relaunch. It wasn't really a relaunch. It was just to get bigger players to be part of the transition and work with the MX and work with the industry to get that going. TD and MBF were the partners we chose to go down this road with, and uh, we're already seeing a dramatic increase in core trading. We've gone from pretty much a very small open interest, and we've increased it about fivefold already. And we see this, as Dave mentioned, as we go into this CORA first date in early 2023, we're going to see more and more people get ahead of the curve, I think, and trying to transition some of that liquidity to CORA. It's always a chicken and egg thing, right? Liquidity always goes to where liquidity can execute the cheapest. Mm. So it's up to uh, the MX and our partners to try to create that inviting environment for people to feel confident that they can actually execute their trades in Quora and transition Mm -hmm. in an orderly fashion. Some challenges there I'm sure Dave is always when you transfer liquidity.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, right now there's not many banks in Canada that are creating Quora liabilities. Correct. You know, everything is still, you know, very much focused on, in, especially at the term in the five, seven and 10 year, is, is focused on on CDOR. But as soon as as banks start creating CORA liabilities and needing to hedge CORA liabilities and get move them, you know, from off balance sheet from one dealer to another, then, you know, we'll have some provincial and CMB syndicates issuing off of CORA that will provide sort of natural offsets. And I think that volume will get volume. And I think that once we are creating those liabilities as an entire industry, not just piecemeal one bank or, or two, I think that the liquidity will will follow.
0: So let's fast forward to the future when the liquidity has followed. We have mm-hmm. a new world here in Canada, a new risk-free rate, Cora, a new futures product, the Quora future, probably a bunch of new issuance coming out that's based on the Quora index. The backs, sadly, you know, uh, historic product will have mm-hmm. faded by then. My question is: uh, What new in investing? What new hedging possibilities have opened up in this world that we didn't have with a uh, CDOR and with the BAX What's new that we can do with Cora? I think the first thing, Corey, is that you know
2: the Cora future itself won't have a credit component to it, much like the BAX did. So it's more of a pure play in the Bank Canada and its monetary policy. So I think from a more international perspective, international investors that might have been reticent to engage in Canadian monetary mm-hmm. policy because of this credit component of CEDOR will now be more encouraged to take views on Bank Canada's monetary policy going forward and utilize it through core co- uh, contracts. Dave, your thoughts?
1: You know, I'm, I, I mirror that, Rob. I think, you know, I've I've had to, many uncomfortable conversations with international clients in over the past sort of five to seven years. Whom are wondering why their hedge efficiency isn't what they thought it would be using CEDOR linked, you know, using backs contracts, because they're not experts in funding spreads and OAS. They don't understand what moves them, what's moving. They don't understand what a Canadian mortgage season is, and there's more paying and then right. they're receiving, and all they're concerned with is you know they put this trade on and their hedge efficiency is, you know, it, they model it at 95% and it's running at 78% and they're losing money and and they're wondering why. And I think that what what happens then is then they become much more hesitant in getting in, even even the hedge funds, you know, the hedge funds, the, the, the professional RV players who aren't an expert in Canadian funding spreads and don't understand what drives them, you know, they get burnt once and they don't come back, you know, or maybe burnt twice right. and don't come back. I think Rob's on it. And I think that simply by being able to take a view on administered rates, where they're going, what direction, without that credit component could bring that aspect of the market that we've probably been lacking for the last three to five as funding spreads have become really mobile since the, uh, the great financial crisis. Rob can remember in the early days, I think you know the funding spread was eight basis points and it moved to twelve. Everybody rushed to arbitrage the four beeps. Come great financial yep. <laughs> crisis, they moved out to 150 basis points. And and they really, you know, they've they moved 20, 30 basis points at a couple of times a year, and, and our client base doesn't get that. So I think having that pure play definitely is is a positive. I think that's so well said,
2: David. Mm-hmm. And Also, the timing of the market, right? Because core is always calculated in arrears, even though you might have some days or weeks of extreme volatility that could move Mm. rates back and forth, because of its nature, how it's it's calculated in arrears, you're going to have an average of that period. Mm -hmm. So you're not trapped. You're not trapped in that little moment, if you will. So it it gives you even greater confidence to, to stay in the game in Canada.
1: You know what, that's so important to understand that is is a simple fact is in a three month coupon, there's 60 compounding periods per se. Once you get near 40, 40 compounding periods, it takes roughly a four standard deviation move in rates to move the fourth decimal place because each day is weighted as one day in the calculation and it's not overly weighted so you can have you know mistakes in the repo market someone gets caught long or short and and have the actual core rate for a day either 10 beeps above or below that doesn't move even the fifth decimal place in what you're expected to receive or pay on a on a swap or a coupon
0: as Quora Futures grow, we know that the Bank of Canada is looking for there to be a one-month or forward-looking Quora rate to replace the uh, terms that used to exist in the old CEDOR world. What's behind this innovation, guys? What, what are they looking to add to the market? I think that, again, the derivatives part of the market could live quite happily
1: without a forward-looking term rate. As, again, I said, we're, we're comfortable with the math and, and the calculation. Our systems are all calibrated to do that. I think the loan side really does need a forward-looking term rate. they need some they need some security in the rates that they're borrowing or lending on to really keep that industry moving smoothly. So I think that when I look at it here, I see 225 billion dollars worth of CDOR-based lending in Canada alone of which only 90 billion of, you know, creates a BA. So the banking system is well motivated to to create this rate and to support this rate to keep that 225 billion dollars worth of 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 lending moving and it'll just reference a forward looking term rate. So I think need and want are in this instance are very close to the same definition but for a smooth transition for the loan side we need it.
2: I guess the the, the question really is how's is it going to be formulated? Can you do you need a one month cora future? Can mm-hmm. you can you utilize it based on a three month the current three month cora future and work from there? I think it's a matter of the Bank of Canada, the CAR committee mm-hmm. and and the industry to work together to figure out what's what's the best formula going forward. So that's still an unknown.
1: there, there is a, a very specific question in in the the white paper that's out there right now looking for commentary is if you can only have one forward-looking term rate, would it be the three-month or the one-month? And it would be really interesting to see what the feedback comes as. And I think that mm-hmm. for the loan markets, it's going to be the one-month. They swap all those cash flows back to one-month, and they're going to be looking for that. And the replacement products that are issued in the money market as the at the investor side are primarily in the one-month as well. So for derivatives, we do everything based off of three months. So You have six main banks will have a vote, and it might be tinted to the three-month side, and then you have an entire lending community who will probably vote for one month. And it all depends on how many people answer the consultation paper and and Uh get it it out there. And I think the bank is doing
0: all it possibly can do to get those answers. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of this. I have this worry in the back of my mind that Having two indices, both a Quora and a term Quora might bifurcate liquidity. I I think it's something that a lot of people are worried about. It's not necessarily a concern, but still, uh, I'd like to have someone uh, comment for me on this. Uh, You know, even when I think about the futures products, there being both a Quora future and a one month term Quora future, you know, I get worried that it's hard for a market to support two of these products at the same time. What What are your thoughts on that?
2: As Dave said, the uh, low market's 225 billion. What's the, what's the swap market? 19 trillion. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, here you go, Corey, 19 trillion versus 250 billion. Let's go with that.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> the scales are tilted one way right mm-hmm.
1: now. And again, I think that the opposite of that opinion is, is that the banks can be agnostic and don't actually even need a forward looking term rate to operate it's the loan market Correct. that needs it so who are we actually creating it for ourselves or for you know the loan groups again it's just a it's a known unknown and it's going to be a really interesting paper to digest and to communicate
0: one big difference between the old CDOR and the new Cora is the absence of this credit component. I think Monar, you mentioned that and part mm-hmm. of CDOR spread over OIS used to be that credit component of a BA since they were uh, you know they were backed by banks. big big mm-hmm. Canadian banks are safe, of course. don't get me wrong, Dave. but <laughs> still there was always that credit component. Is it good? Do you think uh, wholly good? I, I know that it's going to introduce investment opportunities, but doesn't it take some away that we're missing that credit component? Does it doesn't it kind of leave a hole that needs to be filled by some credit index or credit product? We have thought about this quite a bit and the answer, I guess is yes
2: to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so at the MX, uh, Corey and I have been working uh, with the industry. Uh, leaders and to design basically a credit index that we're going to launch in early 2023, and it'll allow uh, Corporate Canada and corporate desks and investors to hedge credit pure credit exposure with an actual credit index, if you will, a bespoke credit index that we feel t- we've been designing with uh, with Footsie to actually create a market that will actually move and allow people to hedge in pure credit, if you will. So. That's our solution
1: to that issue, Dave, and over to you. You know what? I've seen the the product. I think it's really well put together. And I think it has a very good chance of, of success in Canada. As for again, you know, you look at the loan market and everything's negotiable in the loan market is something I've learned. You know, I'm not an expert in in syndicated loans by any means or, or documenting syndicated loans, but it seems that every piece of paper or every loan document or every board sheet is just a unique piece of paper. So not having a credit component to the um, the Cora indices, I don't see as a problem there, because things will just optically look a bit wider. So if something was CDOR plus 50 and the funding spreads 25, it'll be Quora plus 75. So optically, it'll look wider, but net net, it'll be 3%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything, mm-hmm. the yield will be the exact same. So I don't see it as an issue there. I, I see you know the the hedging of credit that kind of stuff. I'm going to miss not being able to put on large Fraud OAS trades and take a view on that kind of stuff and use those as hedges. But I think that's a very small part of the overall derivatives market, betting on that. And I don't think it's a giant piece of the revenue. I think maybe some of our hedge fund players who loved that trade and and it was really easy to put that on in Canada will kind of go missing on that one. But again, we'll have something else to take its place. It's you know nothing lasts forever. So let's just drive on.
0: All right, that's all the time that we have here. Thank you so much, Wanar and Dave, our, our guest today, for coming to TMX Presents the Podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Wanar.
2: Thank you, Corey and Dave, thank you. It's like uh, sitting on the desk complaining and debating
0: where the next rate move is, Good, like old <laughs> times. Exactly. Now, for more information on the Montreal Exchange, please visit m-x.ca. And for more insights from Capital Markets leaders and my TMX colleagues, please visit tmx.com forward slash POV.